Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life. Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, creator of CrazyPerfectLife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day, and author of the book, Crush Cancer, the book I needed when I heard those terrifying words, you have cancer, available on Amazon. Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-ton cancer thriver. But more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the fear of failure, how to overcome it, and how we can really use it to create the life of our dreams. You know, Dara, I don't remember exactly when I recognized that failure was a thing, right? So think about when you're a kid. Right. Everything when you're a child is play. And so you're successful. Right. If you're outside, you're playing hide and seek. Part of it is getting caught. And so there's no real failure. But I I remember I was in I was moving from second to third grade. And there was a, a kid, a boy who was in third grade and he was being held back. Mm. And the euphemism was yeah failed yeah it's funny that you say that because i don't know why i was thinking about this yesterday but when i was in fifth grade so it must be really like when we're in elementary school that we realize the fear of failure and back when we were kids let's face it grades weren't what they are today and our parents our parents were so not focused on what our grades were right i mean really ever not like the parents of today not like the way a lot of us parent our kids now but i remember when i was in fifth grade and i asked my teacher mrs alvis who was my very favorite teacher because she always wore pink and purple suits and bright pink or purple lipstick so she was like super cool and i i remember going to her and saying mrs alvis can I speak with you in the hallway? And she said, yes. And we went out in the hallway and I said, Mrs. Alvis, I've noticed that some of the children are in the tag program. And I would really like to be in the tag program because they take really fun field trips. And I want to be in that program. Can we please figure out a way to get me in that program? And Garth, I'll never forget the way she looked at me. She looked at me with like such love And she smiled and she said, and she took a deep breath and she said, Dara, that program is just for some of the children. And that isn't a program that you can be in. (laughs) And I had tears in my eyes. And that's when I realized like, oh my goodness, you know, some people can do this, go one way and some people can go, go the other way. And that has stayed with me always. I don't think that she would even realize the impression that that moment made on me. But I recognize that I failed at tag. <laughs> it, it was a different time, right? So it was. It was. And I. But here's the bottom line: I was not able to be in that program. I was not deemed talented and gifted um, when I was in fifth grade. And so that's when I recognized failure and it's not always a good, it's not a good thing. It didn't feel good. Well, I don't think it ever feels good. However, 
I don't want to say that I'm numb to it, but I think at this point in my life that I have failed at so many different things that I look at failure as just another learning experience. I want to go back to this kid from third grade who failed. I was really, really lucky that he failed. And to be honest, if I think back, I'm sure he doesn't see it that way, my friend. (laughs) Well, he he probably does today. Like, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I hear you. We have 40 years perspective on that experience. When I think back to third grade, all I can remember is how much difficulty I had learning the multiplication tables. For some reason, whatever it was, I could not get those down. But everything else I did pretty okay in. I look back and I think, gosh, how is it that Ted failed third grade? And again, I have no idea. But because of that, Ted and I became best friends for a long time. Right. So suddenly he was always he was a grade ahead of me. Now we were in the same class. Mm, nice. we, stayed, we stayed in class together. Right. We graduated high school together. And never once did I even remotely imagine Ted as being like the kid who failed third grade. In fact, he graduated high school with honors. He went to college, became a teacher, moved back home. And he's a history teacher for one of the local high schools. Again, I know that at the time, whatever was going on with Ted or his family, that I'm sure that him being held back for a year was problematic. It was challenging, maybe emotionally difficult. But it was, you know, I look at Ted today and he's a picture of success, right? He's got a fantastic family. He gives back to the community. He coaches sports for kids. And I hope that he uses that experience as a lesson for some of his students. Well, you know, it's interesting because we always talk about, and when we've done a podcast episode on success, but that just made me think that there are probably different levels of failure and what is failure to you versus what failure is to me. And I will say, Garth, that one of my favorite things that I've ever learned from our friendship is back when you said to me, because I was talking about something and you turned to me and you were like, Dara, What's the worst that can happen? And basically, the worst that could happen is that, in my mind, I failed, if you will. But you were just kind of like, it's so risk-free. And if it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, who cares? And I think you do have an incredible ability to view what others would think of as, you know, oh, no, it's a failure. Oh, no, what are people going to think? Oh, no, blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of shrug it off and you're like, so what? What can I learn from that? How can I take that lesson and do it better the next time? And even if the next time doesn't go the way that maybe you had originally wanted it to even go the first time, in your mind, you're just kind of like, okay, what can I do next time to maybe get a little bit further ahead, further ahead? And that's really, you cannot be successful if you don't give yourself space to fail. Right. If, if you are always playing it safe, you'll never advance, right? You'll never become better at whatever venture, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, right? If you're not willing to take risks and to push your boundaries, one of my managers actually commented to me the other day about my ability to take risks and to try things that, that we haven't tried within the company. And she said, and really in all aspects of your life, probably. It, it, well, yeah. So I remember I, I and I really even wanted to bring this to Emma. 
you know, when she was little, we started, you know, how every parent is with kids, right? Like, hey, let's let's do dance and let's do soccer and let's do all of these other activities to try to figure out which one you're going to enjoy the most, which one that you might be better at, right? So right away, we're helping our kids fail successfully, right? So Emma some, played soccer. Some people are because right. not everyone does that. I mean, some people are kind of like, you have to be incredible at soccer. So we're going to just start soccer. I'm just saying. So after they listen to this podcast episode, they'll okay. change their ways. I, I like <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we did the same thing with Emma. I think that we played maybe one or two sessions of soccer and it just wasn't the thing. You know, it wasn't her thing. But when she started playing softball, gosh, she was probably five or six. And I remember two things from that early experience. The coach, Coach Eric, said that he really wanted Emma on his team. So, by the way, our softball league is kind of like there's a draft, right? So the kids go out for a half of a day and they they bat and they catch and they throw. And then the coaches draft, draft the players. For yeah. Five years old for five year old kids. Yeah, but oh, so nobody gets cut, right? So everybody pay, everybody plays. But the coaches, the reason why they do that is that each to coach, balance it out to right, make exactly. it so like it's not all oh, the great kids are on one, and then the people who have never picked up a bat got it. Right, exactly. And Emma, you know, for all intents and purposes, she hadn't done anything with softball, right? We played catch a couple of times. We taught her how to swing a bat just before practice, but she had never played. But Coach Eric came up to us and said, you know, I really wanted Emma on my team because she's scrappy and I can make a player out of that. And I thought, okay, so this is a good sign. And she was absolutely scrappy, 100%, no questions asked. But after she had been playing for a while, she and Emma, if you're listening, you know that we, I love you and we've already talked about this. She's not a very coordinated or fast runner. She, do you remember watching Friends and how Phoebe ran all kind of like arms gangly and Phoebe just ran that way because it was fun for her? And her whole body doesn't like cross the finish line at the same time. It's just it's interesting to watch. But she's not the fastest runner or she especially wasn't when she was younger. And so she kept hitting the ball down the first baseline. And because she couldn't run past the ball, she was almost always tagged out. And I thought to myself, how do we turn this into a success? Because this is, you know, the kid's never getting on base. She's not happy, right? It is clearly in her mind, that's a failure, right? She's getting up to bat and she's not looking at it from a grown-up perspective that, hey, getting up to bat, that's success right there. Because not everybody has the strength to get up to bat. And so I took her to the batting cages one day and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to teach you how to bat left-handed. Because if I can't correct your swing, instead of batting and hitting the ball right down the first baseline, maybe we can have you hit the ball right down the third baseline. And by the time that player catches the ball and throws it to first base, you should already be there. And she looked at me. She said, Dad, I can't bat left-handed. I looked at her and I said, okay, how can I, how can I bring this to her in a teachable moment and not be like the super aggressive sports dad? And I said, okay, so I'll do it first. And I put my little token in and 20 pitches later, I had hit, I think probably about 15 of the 20 pitches left-handed. And I looked at her, I gave her the bat and I said, Emma, I've never batted left-handed before in my life. And I just hit 15 out of 20 pitches. So that was my first time. How good do you think you might be after a hundred pitches trying it? 
And for the rest of her life, the mm. rest of her softball career, she batted left-handed. Okay, so I love that story. But you know what I love about it the most? The fact that you actually like were kind of thinking, what can I do to teach my daughter how this we how we can turn this into like a learning lesson? And that's the key right there is whatever you're going through in life, whatever doesn't necessarily work out the way you had hoped it would work out to really have the ability to take a step backwards and think about and reflect what can I learn from this experience? But a lot of times, Garth, people are so emotionally distraught or frustrated or just really disappointed that something didn't go the way they wanted it to go, that it's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to kind of get that perspective when we're caught up in it emotionally, whatever it is. I don't think we can discount. I, I agree. Okay. But, you know, the remedies for that. Try again. Try again. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm so glad that you said that. This is why I love being a podcast partner with you. Because I know uh, what you're going to say. <laughs> but so... It's almost like, have you ever played guitar? For like a second, yes. Okay, okay. So I played guitar for a really long time. My guitar has sat unused in the corner longer than I played it. But when I was in high school, I played it in my church folk group and and played guitar for a really long time. And your fingertips build up calluses. But it takes a long time to get to the point where you have built up calluses. Emma, in a very similar manner, she took up rock climbing last summer. And she is so proud of her calloused hands today, but it took her a really long time. And so part of, I think, accepting failure and learning how to deal with failure is the fact that you have to fail again. You have to be willing to emotionally and be vulnerable in whatever venture that is. Right. So there it is. So how do we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable when a lot of people feel that society views any form of failure as a failure. I mean, you know what I'm saying when I say that? So, you know, um, I was thinking about this topic earlier today because I did know the topic. I was about to say, how fortunate for you, my friend. (laughs) I um, And and I was actually, what I was thinking about was one of the things I admire most about Lisa is her ability to risk failure in a very intimate personal setting. And here's the example. As a you know, short example. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa loves to cook. Okay. And one of her favorite things to do is to invite people over to our house and to cook dinner for them. Nice. Why well, have I not received an invitation? Well, Failure. You, you do live a few <laughs> hours away. Um, so you know what she does almost every time? A new recipe. A new recipe. Because she thinks it's fun. It's fun for her, and she challenges right. herself. And you know how many times that the new recipe is – okay, they're never awful, right? Because it's a recipe. It's a published recipe. Hopefully, okay. it's been you know through a test kitchen or whatever. But sometimes it falls flat, right? There was high expectations – and it was just okay. But that doesn't stop her the next time from trying another new recipe. And it's because when the recipe hits, 
It hits good. It hits really good. And people talk about it. And they say, oh, Lisa, can you please make this blah, blah, blah when you come over to our house for this party? Because so what she does is she really focuses on the success and minimizes the failure. I love that. That's amazing. That's actually amazing. It's a good it, lesson for all of us, really. It, it is. And, and if you think about it, cooking is one of those things that I hate when people say to me, oh, I can't cook. Because that tells me, oh, you don't know how to read. You haven't tried to read a recipe. Right. right? Or maybe they just don't enjoy it. So right. to them, that's why they don't, they feel that way. But, so, yeah. But so, it, it's that success pattern, right? So you have to, you have to be willing to have a couple of, you know, flat souffles or cheese dishes that just kind of turned into a blob. I made something for the first time for my family a couple of weekends ago, um, eggs Benedict and, Everything was taking much longer, and the the hollandaise sauce started to separate. My family was in the other room, and all I could think of is, I've really talked up the fact that I want to make this great <laughs> breakfast, and now it's falling apart in front of my eyes. Literally. Literally. And all I did was I turned, and I asked Google. I'm like, hey, Google. Yeah. My hollandaise sauce is separating. How do I fix it? And 15 seconds later, I was fixing it. So I was on the cusp of failure. But I didn't let that failure stop me. I love that. So I challenge our listeners right now to really think about a time in your life where you had a failure and you really were able to learn a lesson through that failure. Because I think we all have that in our lives, but a, a lot of times we don't give ourselves the opportunity to think about it. So there's definitely, look, everyone listening to this podcast, you failed at at least one thing because you're a human. So think about a time when you failed, but then really take a few minutes to think about the lesson that you learned from that or when you tried again, what you were able to do because you learned from that failure. And then look at your life right now Think about your life right now and what is something that you really want to do that you know you want to do, but you're afraid to try because you're afraid it's not going to go well. You're afraid you're going to fail or you're going to be perceived as someone who doesn't know what they're doing or it's going to be embarrassing and think about a way that you can talk yourself through that and be willing to take that risk. And that's really the thriving challenge for today because we can all be better versions of ourselves and really create the, the life of our dreams. The only one a lot of times standing in our way is us because we're afraid to fail and so we don't try. Everybody's a beginner once. Exactly. I don't know if I've told you this, Dara. So finally, I might have a story to tell you that you haven't heard yet. And I want to share my biggest failure or my biggest failure in recent history. About six years ago, seven years ago, I was preoccupied. I was busy with work. I was trying to um, ignore the fact that I had been diagnosed with cancer a couple of times. I didn't want to be that person. Right? I didn't want to be a cancer patient. And I pushed off getting one of my scans. And 
in hindsight, I have no idea what the true ramifications were. I have no idea if where I am today is because of that situation, because of my choices that I made. I push off having a scan. I had a scan a couple of months late and that scan revealed that I had cancer again. And that was the time where after, after surgery, the doctor told me that, you know, as they were removing my adrenal gland, it kind of just collapsed. It just kind of fell apart, disintegrated. I always have to question on whether or not had I had that surgery a couple of months earlier, would that same situation have happened? And is that the situation that has put me into my health situation today? So, so I mean, yeah. that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And so what do you do with that? I'm at this point, I've let the fact go that that may have caused my current health situation. I can't change that. Yeah. And that's not going to do anything but make you feel terrible, quite honestly. And right. Absolutely. And like, not just terrible for myself, terrible for where the place that I put my family in. Yeah. How did I learn from that? I never miss a scan. I, right? no, I, I actually noticed that about you. So I can speak from someone who's kind of watching you. I, I've noticed that like you never are willing to miss a scan and you shouldn't. And so, but that you did learn from that because I've noticed just in talking with you before, if we talk about something, you're like, oh, definitely I have a scan and I'm not like, really, you're kind of like, I'm not changing it. I'm not deviating from the set plan. And I think that's, yes, you have absolutely carried that forward through your life. And I also learned that the scans are nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Because the, all the scans are doing is revealing what's there already. And you actually say that, too, because I've said to you before, Garth, are you stressed about this, blah, blah, blah. Because, look, you and I have been through different on different paths, and I don't get scans very often. How many scans have you had in your life? I, I think at this point I might be approaching 100. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah. I wish I had a punch card, right? If What if I, I got a burrito it, every 10 scans? Yeah. Just – I have not had a lot of scans and when I have or do need to get a scan or whatever, I don't handle it very well as you know that because a lot of times I reach out to you and I kind of let you know like whatever and you know, you're always good about kind of talking me through that and I always kind of think of it as because I've even said to myself like, gosh, I failed at that. Here I am telling people to be positive and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm anxious or blah, blah, blah. And I've kind of looked at that as a failure before. But wait, wait. But then, you know, there have been times when I say to myself, you know what? This is reminding me of how other people feel. And this is such a great way for me to remember so that I can help other people through it. So I kind of view it as sort of a... Now now I'm reminding myself of what people feel like when they're first diagnosed or going through a really scary situation, and that helps me be able to help people more. Um, And and it's turning your own own insecurities, your own anxieties into something positive. And and trust me, I'm not saying that I don't get edgy before a scan. Yeah, and, and, you know, another thing is that, and I think it's important to, to really take a moment to recognize, is that 
what is stressful to one person is not stressful necessarily to another person. We're all different. We're all coming at the day in front of us, bringing all that we've been through and all of our experiences with us. And so we're all, it kind of impacts the lens that we travel through our lives with and how we view a particular success or failure. I was just in Phoenix last week and I was there. I was really fortunate to be invited out to give a talk. And the talk was all about success, which in retrospect is also a talk about failure. Absolutely. Right? You, it, they're two sides of the same coin. So everything that we've talked about and, and dealing with failure today is if you flip it around, if you turn the tables, it's we're really talking about how to be successful. So and I posed this question to the to the group. For a cancer patient like me or a cancer patient like you, what does success look like? And for most people, success means cure or at the very least remission. And so part of I, th I think part of the the ease that I have with managing failure in my life is that every day, every day for seven years now, I've woken up with cancer in my body, and from that perspective, I could consider myself to be a failure every day. But so how do you – I think we need to – just let's stay there for a few minutes because I've often really admired this about you. Is you. Yeah, because I think there are – look, you and I meet a lot of people speaking in the circuits that we speak. How do you do that with the positivity – that you have and the zest for your ability to experience as much joy as you can every single day. Because I I feel like, you know, we meet people all the time that are really in situations and they're stuck. Mm -hmm. And it's a true gift that you're able to do that. So it's practice. I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to sound like it's so simplistic, but when I first was diagnosed with a cancer that was going to be lingering, it was prostate cancer. And my doctors kind of said, look, you know, it's really small. It's slow growing. We're okay not treating it, but we just need to be careful and watch and, and wait. And if you're okay with basically this, if you're okay with waking up every day, knowing that you have cancer in your body, but we have a tendency in the United States to over treat this type of cancer. And I thought to myself, oh, so I don't have to go through surgery or treatment and go through all of those really bad side effects that could happen after prostate treatment. And I'm like, okay, so I have two choices. I choose to wake up with cancer and know that I have to be very diligent and careful and do my blood work and do whatever scans they say, do whatever they say, or, or risk all of the side effects. So I had to make right away. I had to make that choice. And then afterwards, a, about a year later, you know, kidney cancer had metastasized and suddenly I was dealing with two different types of cancers in my body every day. Be, but I had the practice for that first year of, okay, prostate cancer, really small, slow growing, not really impacting me. I don't feel anything from it. And so because I had that practice of waking up every day and kind of, I don't want to say ignoring it, but just acknowledging that it was there and trying to choose to see the brighter side of life and recognizing that just because I had something bad happen, 
doesn't mean that my whole life was bad. It doesn't mean the whole day was bad. And you almost build up an immunity to failure at that point. It's just like when you get a, a shot, you know, so you, you get your shot against the flu or whatever, you're building up an immunity to being exposed to it. And, and yeah, no, you're right. I actually think that that's why you are able to take the risks in other areas of your life. Because I think even if you don't realize it, I think you kind of are subconsciously, if you will, thinking to yourself, well, I, I crushed cancer. So <laughs> you know what? I can try this. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? Because you've dealt with, are dealing with, have faced such a challenge and really on a daily basis, Garth, I mean, you are so successful at how you manage your illness. I, I, I've admired that really since the day that I met you. And I, I don't think that anyone else who knows you or follows you or whatever, they don't admire that also. And that's a gift that you give to other people who are in your same situation because you're showing them that you're not a failure, that you can enjoy the life that you're living. Well, that goes for everybody, right? So everybody has this thing, whatever it is that they're using as a barrier in their life, right? Yeah. So wh whether yeah. it's a health situation or financial situation or, or whatever, right? So how do you move from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm? And that's actually a quote by Winston Churchill, something like, you know, the definition of success is yeah. being able to move from failure to failure. You know, part of it is you have to let the little stuff go. You really, just like Lisa and cooking new things for friends, you have to recognize, okay, I had three great dinners and I had one dinner that we didn't have to order pizza, but we thought mm. about it. And not also just making excuses. I think a lot of times people hold themselves back and they make excuses because they are afraid to have the freedom to be in a space where they could possibly fail. So they come up with, you know, oh, I can't do that because blah, blah, blah. But it's so clearly an excuse. Again, we get in our own way. We you know, um, hold ourselves back. I know this is really cliche, but didn't Edison make like 2,000 yeah. light bulbs before he had one that worked? Well, and you're, you know, you're hitting on something. You're shining a light on something. Ooh, it's almost like I planned that. <laughs> We're not that good folks. We have skills, <laughs> but it's almost like you're shining a light on something that we don't talk about either, which is you don't see all the failures that a really successful person has been through in order to get to the success that you are viewing them at or judging them at a lot of times. Right. I mean, you, we can sit here, we could talk all day about people who are really successful and all the failures that they went through in order to get to where they are. Right. Like Tiger Woods. I mean, literally was, every single person that you know who is a success, they failed in order to get to where they are. Right. We're, we're not all Mozarts, right? We don't sit down at a piano when we're three years old and suddenly, you know, play this fantastic music. That's a very extreme exactly. and rare case. Tiger Woods played golf for, you know, he started playing, what was he, four years old or something like that. He probably hit enough chip shots that his hands were raw when he was yeah. growing up. 
And then he comes onto the, the golf circuit and suddenly he's a star. Well, that's the key. He, it wasn't suddenly he was a star. He practiced for 18 years or whatever every day for three hours a day. Yeah. You don't see the hard work that it takes, the sweat equity, if you will, to right. get to where you want to be. So do we have a napkin note today? We do. I love this note. I wrote it to Emma a couple of years ago, and it's perfect for today. Dear Emma, be great at dealing with failure. Be horrible at accepting it. Mm, I love, love that. Oh, Garth, you nailed it. <laughs> it. But isn't it right? So that's, that's yeah. the key to success right there, right? So I have this 300 or 400 or 500 Lego TIE fighter that I need to build. And yes, I'll follow the directions, but I probably in my enthusiasm might skip a step or something like that and suddenly have to take it all apart and start rebuilding. But again, I, I know this is such a simple case, but what's the worst that could happen, right? Yeah. So ask yourself, all of our listeners out there, what is the worst that can happen if you give yourself permission to go after whatever it is you know in your heart that you really want to do? Ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? And go for it. So, Dara, I want to end on this. And part of it is a thank you to you. But I really think that our audience can appreciate this. So I'm not sure what the release schedule is for this particular episode. However, it's going to be really close and definitely in the same month as our two-year anniversary of starting this podcast. Hmm. And so, Dara, thank you, because you were the one who pushed me into doing this. Um, not that you had to push too hard, but you were the one who said, hey, let's try to figure out how to make this happen. And we both approached this with a level of enthusiasm, also knowing that we could fail, right? We could have a podcast that we either didn't know how to do or we just sucked at or you know, nobody listened or whatever, right? But we approached it both with the, we think we have something of value to say and what's the worst that could happen? And here we are two years later and we have a really good podcast. We have a great audience and we're continuing to grow and who knows what's next for podcasting with us. And so thank you. Mm, and we're having so much fun. We are. This is actually the highlight of my week. So, you know, mm -hmm. regardless if, if you must be having a really bad week. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> no, but I, I love it. You know, I love I the know, fact that, fun. you know, we've got this face to face. And and again, when we started this, we both kind of had ideas of where we were going to go, but we also had no idea how to get there. And, and that's really a lot of times the fun in something is you don't necessarily know how it's going to play out. I mean, that's the beauty of life. Life is uncertain, and yes, a lot of shitty things can happen, but yes, a lot of amazing, beautiful, wonderful things can happen, even so much better than you could even imagine, if you let yourself explore. What's the worst that could happen? Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com. I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life, at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Dara and Garth.